Welcome to the Under 8 Podcast, a three times per week college basketball show brought to you in under eight minutes. At the time of recording, it is February 8th, 6.03 p.m. My name is Josh Molnix. On today's pod, Auburn stomps Alabama, Michigan stuns Wisconsin, and Providence beats Creighton in overtime. It's all right now on the Under 8 Podcast. Auburn 99, Alabama 81. Josh, this edition of Auburn Auburn versus Alabama this year, not quite as competitive as the first one. No. There's your signature win for Auburn. <laughs> I guess. That would that would that would mean that I don't think Alabama is forgettable, which I do. So I mean you're welcome to consider it a signature win. And maybe the metrics will tell you that it's a signature win. But in the act, how I actually feel about it category, I congratulations on beating Alabama at home. And that's where I'm very much in the middle on this because I don't think you're putting a lot of stock of it. And all there are people that are now ready to start talking about Auburn as a Final Four team. And to me, what we learned here is that Tennessee is the best team in the SEC. And I say that. Because, would you agree? Yes, I would. I say that because I fully expected Auburn to look this good in this game. Maybe not quite this good. I mean, they were on pace to score 120 a couple times there. But Alabama just has no size. And Auburn has some really good interior players who just bullied Alabama. And when Alabama doesn't have everything set up systematically the way it needs to work, They don't have an answer because they don't have Brandon Miller. We talked about this last season. Brandon Miller was the antithesis, the plan B to what Nate Oates does systematically. And I mean, so I, I don't have too much to say about the actual result itself. I did expect Auburn to win this game, but maybe by more like 10 or 12 than 18. But they looked, I mean, they jumped on them. Then Alabama got back in the game because Auburn just stopped moving the ball offensively because they're going to do that sometimes. They're going to take a bunch of shots, whether they're up 10 or down 10. And then they collected themselves. We're up 14 at halftime and just kind of kept doing the thing in the second half. Janai Broom, this this is my big takeaway here. I'm curious what you think about this. Janai Broom is going to make an NBA GM look really, really smart when somebody drafts him back into the first round, early second round. He is one of my guys in this draft already. I mean, six ten guy that doesn't really shoot the basketball. I mean, sure, maybe he can. He hit a three. I mean, he hits threes. Okay, he can stretch the floor a little bit. My bad. Twenty nine percent from the three point line in college. My bad. Forgot that he can shoot. <laughs> Forgot that he can shoot. Um, yeah, like if he's taking thirty fifth overall, sure. Yeah, I'm not saying he's gonna be a lottery pick or anything. Just the idea of what he can do on both ends of the floor, the fact that he can guard, pass, shoot a little bit, at least. He can't shoot. Stop it. He can't shoot. I mean, he can that's like D- that's like Deon that's like Andre Drummond hitting a half court shot and you telling me that he can shoot. Oh, he's a better shooter than that. Come he, on. But he's not. He shoots twenty nine percent from the three point line. 
Would you call Trace Jackson Davis a shooter? He's not that much better than Trace Jackson Davis. No. Trace Jackson Davis can at least stretch the floor a tiny bit. I, hey, Trace Jackson Davis doesn't stretch the floor either. He doesn't. I stand by this. Okay, that's he, fine. He, I'll I'm stand not by t- guys who actually shoot three-pointers and make them. I'm not saying he's going to be a great NBA player. I'm saying he's going to be one of those guys that we look up, that I get rationally excited about and we look up and he is making contributions in a meaningful way. The same way Jaime Hawkins is for the Miami Heat, for example. The other thing, real quick, uh, up next for Auburn, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky. So we're going to find out how real this is. If they win two out of the three, then we got to have a different conversation. If they lose two out of the three, then everybody needs to acknowledge that this was an overreaction. I'm not jumping on board with this yet. They're good. To me, they're not on Tennessee's level. They are a better team than Alabama. That's what we saw over these two games the team's played. I don't really think it needs to be more complicated than that. Michigan 72, Wisconsin 68. Michigan not better than Wisconsin, but on this particular night, they were four <laughs> points better. Uh, pretty, I, I said the words, I will bet my 401k that Michigan doesn't beat Wisconsin. Those words came out of my mouth to somebody before that game began. So uh, really glad I didn't have to follow through. <laughs> Michigan was minus 95 in the second half of games. They showed that stat only DePaul. I think it was of a high major teams was worse. They finally played a full basketball game. So that's good to see. You had four guys in double figures, two more guys with eight. It wasn't like this was the Doug McDaniel show. He took some shots. He made some plays, but this was a, a true team effort. And yet you still saw their inability to guard. I saw a video of Olivier Kamwa just stopping on a box out and letting AJ store run around to the other side of the rim to grab the ball uncontested right underneath the basket. There was also the play where it was three Wisconsin players touched a loose ball, diving out of bounds with two Michigan guys standing there. And somehow Michigan got a five out of three out of it because Wisconsin hustled too much and the basketball gods did not reward them for it. I, I say that to say, yes, Michigan made some shots. Because they are an individually talented team that can do this sometimes. If I'm Greg Gard, though, I am focusing on one specific thing here. And that is the stretch in the second half where Wisconsin had taken back control of the game. And it looked like, okay, here we go. Michigan's second half collapse again. Nothing new here. Then Wisconsin started taking threes. There was a stretch. It probably went for about eight minutes. They had four missed threes a blocked three, and three turnovers. On every possession in which they attempted to score inside the three-point line, I mean, outside of the turnovers, they drew a foul or scored. They just stopped doing what was working because Michigan could not guard them on the interior. And then they kind of got back to it, and then they made some threes, and Michigan made some plays, and it was a little bit too late to finally kind of get that second comeback after Michigan took the lead again. I... If they would, and Robbie Hummel was talking about this immediately on the broadcast, and I just kept going, he's right. And it just kept happening. If they would have probably just not, I almost would have just said, if you take a three, you're sitting because they can't stop us on the inside. That was to me where the game turned and credit to Michigan. They, they did show up. There's still some head scratching effort things going on, but they put in 40 minutes and got a signature win that nobody saw coming. 
you should be able to beat Michigan with missing two toes on each foot. If you're if you're actually a team that I'm supposed to respect as one of the ten best teams in the country, yep. like like nobody near the top of the sport is having a night like this. Not even Purdue. No, and I so, that that's so why I wanted. I, to, I, I got yeah. no idea what it says about Wisconsin, but it's like if anything, Wisconsin never losing this type of game should be its calling card. Right. I should never have to worry about this. That's yep. that's what we say about Wisconsin and the yep. years that they're good is that they just win so many conference games, and because they don't do crap like losing at you know at seven and fifteen Michigan who's probably not even that good, who's probably has a better record than they actually are. Like, I don't like, I don't know what that that's supposed to say about Wisconsin. I don't know if it's just a lull from a, from a tough, like last 10 days or so, but that's, that's a tough one to swallow. They've now lost three in a row and they've done something that good Greg guard teams never do, which is compound losses in big 10 play. And that losing streak started with blowing a, 19, what was it? 19 point lead, 16 point halftime lead against Nebraska. I think it was 19 at one point and yeah. 16 at yeah. halftime. Yeah. Which is also not something Wisconsin does. And that is why I wanted to illustrate some of the things that Michigan still did in this game that explain why Michigan is having this kind of season. It's not like Michigan was flawless out there. And they still, I mean, to their credit, they did show up for 40 minutes, which has not typically been the case. But I'm right there with you that it's not like this was a Michigan just could not do anything wrong, and sometimes you just don't really have a chance. That's not what we're talking about here. Wisconsin should have found a way to win this game. Absolutely. And maybe that's the reason that Wisconsin will make a deep run in March when some of these teams that are decent in the last five years at Wisconsin just didn't have the offense to do so. Maybe that'll be the reason they go deep. Yep. But it also might be the reason that on February 8th, the Big Ten races is either over or a two-team race, and, that te- and one of those two teams is not Wisconsin. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it ends up. But that was pretty stunning. Last but not least, Providence 91, Creighton 87 in overtime. Felt like this was kind of one of those games that the entire college basketball world was watching by the time it finished. Overtime, like I said, 91-87. Devin Carter was crazy. Josh Duro was crazy. Those two guys combined for 60, which is not a sentence you say very often in college basketball. And oh, by the by, both of them had more than 11, more than 10 rebounds and combined for nine assists as well. So uh, two man show there and they get uh, a win over the great Blue Jays, who are now seven and five in conference. Yeah. Huge win for Providence right there on the bubble. Every game at this point is massive. And obviously to get a notable win as well and you look at the schedule left at butler difficult but winnable home against st john's should probably win that one home against DePaul, you should absolutely win that one at xavier you're not scared by that game at marquette chance for another signature road win versus villanova you should win that one at georgetown you should win that one home against uconn there's your glorious opportunity in front of your fans this is absolutely doable. Devin Carter, I mean, like, I don't know what that was. That was that was a preposterous shot to take. Absolutely. That was, in, that was insane. So I wanted to look into it. I wanted to see what specifically Kim English said about it after the game. Yeah, because for those of you who didn't see it, he just pulled up from Steph Curry range down three with 40-something seconds left and hit it. This is, and 
somebody asked Devin Carter about it first. Can I read to you Devin Carter's quote? <laughs> he said, I don't know. I just shot it. I thought I was closer than it probably looked. <laughs> he then proceeded to talk about how he takes those shots all the time. He was working on it and shoot around that he feels very confident with that shot. <laughs> and then Kim English makes a point of jumping in and says, that was the very last shot he took in shoot around. Being the emotionally intelligent guy, that because I was curious if he was going to get on Devin Carter at all. Oh, no, no, no. He had his guys back 100%. I just found yeah. that incredibly amusing. And, the, and credit to Devin Carter. At least he was honest. He didn't pretend like it was a good shot. He just said, I know I can take it. I know I can make it. I work on it. I just decided to shoot it. Glad it went in. <laughs> yeah, I can't begin to tell you how bad of a shot that is. Like, not only bad. not only is it from the nose of the Providence Friar, it's with like 17 seconds right. left on the shot clock. Down three. That's probably the game if you lose it and if you miss it. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Hey, I mean, shoot or shoot, right? Yeah. And he had one earlier in the second half, too. He he decided he was Steph Curry where any shot within, you know, half court is a good one. And it worked. At least you were four of seven from the three point line up until that point. Yeah. If you're if you're one of eight and your name's right, Devin, right. not Steph Curry and you're taking that shot. Um, yeah. No, he was he mm -hmm. was feeling it for sure. Yeah. Can, can I, talk about, I think I've decided what is so frustrating to me about Creighton's offense. It seems like that it's Bryce Hopkins list. Creighton. Oh, Creighton, my bad. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And we've I mean, talked Creighton's about offense this. is Bryce Hopkins. Hopkins that, that is list. true. That, that's you're, not you're an right. incorrect statement. Yeah, that's true. Because we're both of the mindset that with this much pure talent, it should be much better than it is. The thing that specifically frustrates me is that it seems like every time they turn the ball over, it is because they are not taking care of it, literally. People are knocking it away. They're not being strong enough with it. People are taking it from them. Or it's just low IQ passes that are telegraphed. And you just go, what? Of course he just read that and jumped right into the passing lane. And so if you go watch the highlights of this game, you just saw it time and time again of what what was going on there. And it seems mm -hmm. like that's the story of this season from a negative standpoint. Obviously, they're having a good season. You and I were both on board that this was going to be a really good team, and they are just not. But that stuck out to me again in this game that turnovers happen. It just seems like they have very specific types of turnovers over and over and over again that a team with this much offensive firepower probably should not have. Sure. Anything else? I guess we're officially on Caitlin Clark watch here. It's, <laughs> it's going to be, we've got, you know, under three hours before this game. And then again, obviously this weekend, it's going to be tight, but by the time we podcast again, she may be the all time leading scorer in women's college basketball history. We shall see. We shall see. We shall see. That's going to do it for the Under 8 Podcast Thursday, February 8th. It is 6.19 p.m. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow the Under 8 Pod on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Thank you so much for being here. We will see you on Sunday afternoon.